0: The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Burning Man Project. Common side effects include moderate to severe confusion, partial enlightenment, utopianism, surrealism, situationism, and wild-eyed enthusiasm. If you have frequent thoughts of a transformative nature, you should continue listening immediately. Ask your life coach if you are spiritually healthy enough for this podcast. Welcome to the Burning Man Philosophical Center. I'm Caviar. Stanford anthropologist Tanya Lerman says the difference between religion and ritual may be the difference between belief and practice. A religion asks you to keep certain truths in mind, while a ritual changes the way you interact with the world. A ritual, Dr. Lerman says, connects the world as it is with the world as we want it to be and helps us orient ourselves to it prayer can be thought of as a kind of cognitive behavioral therapy. It affects the way you pay attention, not just to the world around you, but to your own mind and subjective self. And ultimately what you pay attention to becomes a vital part of who you are. If we lose sight of the world as we want it to be, or forget how to orient ourselves to that, we may find ourselves adrift, both individually and collectively." We talk with Dr. Tanya Lerman about radical ritual, Burning Man, and the Western psyche. Coming up. first of all, I was I was thrilled to uh, be able to have this conversation. I've been an admirer of your work for for many years, um, so let me thank just, you. let me just say thank you for the work that you do. And I guess my first question, just upon opening, is what. What were your your first thoughts when you heard that uh, Burning Man is is looking at ritual and that I was hoping to talk with you about it? Was there anything that as a productive line of discussion that immediately jumped to mind or that you associated with it?
1: I don't think that humans live well without ritual and without, you know, some kind of, you know, symbolic representation of uh, a world that is different from the world as it is. Um in sense, you know, some kind of representation of the world as it should be. Uh, so I see Burning Man. My sense of Burning Man is that it's part of a host of practices associated in, with a you know more secular society, in which people um, are trying to represent something about the good life, the, the the life they want, the the life the way they would reimagine themselves. So I kind of think of it as you know one of the many you know New Age, New Christianity. Um, alternate forms of spirituality. I mean, I that may not be a fair description of its current form.
0: Sure. It, it does raise a question, and one that we're actually haven't seen brought up a lot in discussion of the theme, which is the difference between secular rituals and religious rituals, and whether or not mm-hmm. one... I mean, for some people, the idea of talking about secular rituals, you know, they, they, that doesn't come up very much. Uh, do, you, do you, in your work, I mean, you've done a lot of work with with religious rituals, very specifically, as as well as secular, do you do you see there as being a, a difference between the two?
1: I mean, it, um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, ritual is ritual. There are you know symbolic actions that are not instrumentally particular, but are ways of representing how one wants the world to be or experiences the world differently. I mean, so people, everybody has rituals. They walk in a certain way to work. They skip over certain, you know, lines on the sidewalk. They eat certain things for breakfast. I mean, it's part that that sense of ordering the world in a way that is right and good and and proper is a very deep human impulse. What really shifts when, as you move into a more religious Motive ritual is the sense that there's some that you are not choosing the ultimate source of the, the ritual action mm. that um, God uh, demands that you confess or that you um, you know say certain words or that you hold your body in certain ways or you lay prostrate on the floor and in secular ritual of course it's humans who are uh, imagining and representing and choosing you know even the even then even with secular ritual i think people kind of hope that the ritual is connected in some bigger and broader way to the world that they find you know i think that the the sense of this this deep impulse to live in tension between the world as it should be and the world as it is is a very basic to human experience
0: I'm not sure that, that human beings do terribly well when they put themselves at the center of their own moral universe. Actually,
1: mm. I'm I'm with you.
0: In in this sense, though, is there? It sounds like you you do draw a distinction between ritual and superstition.
1: So, in some crude sense, the um, ritual is a behavior, superstition is a set of ideas, mm-hmm. and the so ritual are things people do. And they, what they do is driven by a variety of ideas, um, some of which might might have to do with superstition. So, you know, I mean, all all people have a have a sense of, you know, the fact that that luck is not entirely accidental. That um, at least in pieces, you know, maybe it does help. Even if it's just changing your own orientation, maybe that. Special pen that you do well with in exams, or the table that you work at, or the the um, the the shirt that you wear, that they have a you know, I mean it's just a very comfortable expectation that that, that these choices have some sort of broader than arbitrary influence on on the course of the course of the world. And I kind of think that all humans have um, the capacity to. Imagine that, uh, or to, to think that their mind affects the world around them and that the things they do affect their mind and the world around them and that the, you know, these, these ideas about witchcraft and karma and God are just come very, very comfortably to, to people in a very quick and automatic kind of way. The other side of that is, is that culture kind of encourages or discourages certain ways of thinking. And so, you know, American culture, you know, pretty much dis- at least middle class educated American culture,
2: right.
1: pretty much discourages the idea that, um, you know, other people can hurt you at a distance or you can hurt them at a distance. Uh, it kind of discourages the idea that what you do will, um, you know, have a direct impact on your next life. We don't really, it kind of discourages the idea that we have another life. Mm. Um, and so that kind of interplay, I think, is at the heart of the kind of the domain of, of religious experience. And I think that's sustaining. And, and you know, and in a in a sense, these these easy intuitions that um, other people can hurt you at a distance, that you know, if you do badly, you will be hurt by some supernatural causation. You know, that that is kind of you have know, got those intuitions you've got the way that culture encourages them or discourages them and then you've got the challenge of actually sustaining whatever set of supernatural commitments your culture encourages because you have a set of other intuitions that just undermine them
2: mm.
1: so you have a you know so it's it turns out it's kind of hard for even the most committed christian to really sustain their sense that god is Truly loving and truly on their side and truly responsive to them, and that's one of the things you begin to see when you spend time with um, supernaturally committed folks. So that it's, you know, it's one thing to have the intuition; it's the other to to really feel that it's true. Right. And you know, so the ritual helps to um, encourage, to sustain, to commit, to give you something to to, to remember. Um, I think that's one reason that ritual is so powerful.
0: Yeah, I was I was very struck, um, in particular, uh, reading when God talks back, but um, by the way in which you describe the, the ritual can have an impact on people in ways that debate, discussion, and even belief on its own really don't seem to. That in in many ways it's, <laughs> it's that praxis that uh, that is the the central part of the experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. Are
0: there are there things that ritual that you see ritual being able to do, that simple belief uh, can't?
1: Well, I think ritual, uh, so it depends on what you mean by ritual. I mean, practices um, are transformative. So practicing prayers, practicing talking to God, practicing um, these, you know, meditation, those really change your experience. And, you know, that, that there's a psychological story to tell there, there's a social story to tell there. But yeah, no, they, they, those, those are transformative.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it, it seems like um, your work particularly focuses on the idea that we need to take the subjective experience of ritual seriously, that it's, it's not just the, the objective factors, okay, you do this thing and you do this thing, but the subjective experience of having it that, that really, that, that where that, that's where that transformation lies.
1: Mhm. So, I mean, I think it, it, um one of the things that you know, many of these rituals do is they change the way that you pay attention to your world.
2: Mm.
1: And they're you're changing, you know, you're changing the, the way you pay attention to your mind, but you're also changing attention to the way that you pay attention to ordinary events. And um and that is, I mean, that's a lot of what it is to be human, to pay attention.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. That yeah, that that the actual doing creates a, a whole different experience of paying attention than simply believing something, which in many ways you can just put in the back of your mind. And, and
2: Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah. I've been recently writing about belief as kind of being more in the context of what I think of as a faith frame. So I th- sort of think that people kind of live between their sense of the world as it should be and the world that it is. And they really want to build up this sense of, of God or or the invisible other or the tulpa or whatever it is as being, um, you know, not part of the material world. And they need to kind of sustain it. And that and practice of paying attention enables them to sustain this sense of the source of love or friendship or, or goodness or, or something. And then but it, it always threatens to kind of you know so so to to get that you've got to do stuff you've got to you can't just believe it you um, you know you have to somehow be constantly thinking and constantly talking and or not constantly but you you've got right. to do something to have a practice that enables that almost play you know so I, th- I think of. A faith almost akin to play but as a kind of serious play
2: mm-hmm.
1: that um, you've got and, and to play to, to keep you know because the stuff of faith is often not so observable in, in the ordinary world unless you make time to assert that it's present mm-hmm. so you have to put yourself in the right frame and 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 um, you know look for signs of the invisible other or the source of love or the source of goodness or the or the best possible future and you've got to you've got you've to put yourself there to to pay attention and then construct your actions to help you know motivate your sense that that thing that's not in front of you is really still present and active
0: I don't know if this is a, this is an apt or even helpful metaphor but you're making me think of belief as being a, a very cold and brittle thing and and ritual practice as as being having bringing the potential for warmth and and life and and engagement.
1: I think you know I think that's true, uh, and I think um, you know I kind of slide back and forth myself in thinking about how best to understand belief because people I sometimes think it's not a very useful word mm. because it's you know of course in a Christian context it's a word that people are very comfortable with. But it tends to call to mind a propositional commitment, and people can, you know, make that commitment or not make that commitment. But that seems not quite the same thing as, you know, working to change your experience and to to have a, you know, a gut level sense mm-hmm. that there's something beyond that salient and present.
0: Right, right. This this actually brings us back briefly to to Burning Man. I've I've spent a lot of time talking about the way in which action is the the unit of meaning in in Burning Man culture, that it's it's not belief Mm -hmm. at all. It's not a thing thing you say or a proposition you put forward. The 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 fundamental unit of meaning in in what we do is is the action and is what you Mm do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I wonder about what you see as a difference, or if you see a difference in the sense between personal rituals or practice and su- societal rituals and practice, whether or not doing these things in groups has a different impact than doing it alone.
1: That's a really interesting question. I think that um, you know, individual practice is often, I mean, one one of the obvious things about it is that it uh, tends to peter out Mm. and so people often don't don't continue except with you know obsessive rituals that are kind of driven by by other things um group you know the, the great sociologist emile durkheim said that society was the source of religion and what drove religion were these collective rituals mm. that the um that acting together and he actually had this kind of origin myth that Really makes no sense as a as an actual story, but is illustrates something important. He he was he he read a book about Australian Aborigines, and he said that these are folks who are mostly dispersed during the day. They're hunting and gathering. They're you know looking for nuts. They're looking for honey. They're um you know they're 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 doing things that don't necessarily bring them together as a group. And he said that at certain rituals certain occasions they come together to celebrate something and when you do that you have a sense of an emotional experience that's different from ordinary experiences and that you feel that there's something bigger than yourself and um, there's you know that there's this sense of coming together in a crowd um, gives you a sense often that that you are it's a different emotional feeling he actually called it collective effervescence mm. But there's a sense that um you're taken up out of yourself, you know, and crowds do things that individuals don't do in in good ways and not such good ways. But that sense of you know entering almost in almost an altered state where things feel differently possible. Turkheim said that that was the core experience of religion and that rituals existed to reenact and re enable that sense mm-hmm. and that the, the um and that you know, as you continued you know to to be able to have that sense and remember it um you know you needed to symbolize it and represent it to yourself and that, that was the heart of what it is to what it was to, have, to be a person of faith
0: so in so in many ways uh the, the social is what makes the continuance of the ritual possible.
1: hmm Absolutely.
0: Do you, do you see, I mean, that, that sense of being entering into a, a, a different time and different kind of space? I mean, do you, do you? Is it your sense that rituals do take place in liminal time and space?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's also this, the work of this great anthropologist, Victor Turner, mm-hmm. um, who who observed that there, you know, when people gather together, um, particularly in these non-instrumental settings. They feel different. They feel betwixt and between, and that you know. So there's some basic features of that state. People feel more egalitarian, so they're more part of the same group. They imagine themselves at in in a groupness, and they imagine themselves in as part of the whole. So he he also talked about the experience of communitas. So that you're, you're part of this you're, you know you're, you're part of of a world that's bigger than you, that you are equal to other people in that world, that that world um, diminishes time but is because it's, it's not really time based it's almost like a moment between time betwixt and between,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that gave you a sense of hope and possibility that was that could be transformative.
0: I wonder if, you've, if in, in your research, and especially your observations, um, do you have a sense of, what it, of the elements that make up a, a potent or impactful ritual of, of what has to be there, of what ideally will be there, what can't be there?
1: Um, well, that's a good question. Well, you've got to get the group engaged. So if people are not engaged, if there are people around the corner who aren't engaged, it's going to work less effectively. So, there can be plenty of humor or plenty of solemnity, but there's gotta be a sense of change from the everyday. You've gotta have people, you know, people need to be on board. Although, sometimes in good rituals, people only slowly come on board, mm. but there needs to be some, you know, so, so, you know, you're doing something and people are just only slowly kind of giving themselves over, but they need, but you need to have, For the ritual to feel like something happened, whatever that means, people need to be able to, you know, fully engage and they need to be able to experience this event as being a moment out of time. So they need to be able to break their ordinary, you know, the way that we are kind of connected to the world with a set of ordinary expectations about, you know, time and space and where you are in the world and who you are. Those ordinary expectations need to be broken, so people do that by dressing differently or by using different music or um you know changing something to make something feel you know you, i mean that that word sacred you know to be holy is to be set apart, and to make something ritual, I think requires that it be holy, even if you don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. That it's got to be something set out of the ordinary flow of the day.
0: Something that uh, Burning Man's uh, key founder, Larry Harvey, has has written and talked about is that in many ways um, secularism and atheism have lost any vocabulary through which to talk about the sacred, and and this is this mm-hmm. is a problem. This is a, this is actually an impoverishment. That even even if you yeah. don't care to add a supernatural element, these are still subjective realities that you have to have a, a way of connecting with and talking about.
2: Yes,
1: I think that's right.
0: Um, it it sounds like we're we're talking about ritual in, in many ways as, as being a, a key element to sort of a mental hygiene in a sense.
1: Hmm. I think that's actually. True that much of what happens in ritual practice and in religious practice is a different way of attending to the mind. And if you think about prayer, I mean, prayer is really cognitive behavioral therapy um, from a different perspective. I mean, you know, you you know, here you've got this person who is distressed about something, or you know, your ordinary human life. You know your pants don't fit, you're worried about lunch, you're annoyed at your coworker um, you know, and then you sit down to to pray, and the command, whether you're Christian or not, your command is is to to attend to good things, you know, so you praise, you thank, you adore, you express gratitude, so you're shifting your attention from negative thoughts to positive thoughts that's you know that's that's one thing. And then if you are also engaged in this invisible other, you're really trying to, you know, focus on a back-and-forth relationship with the invisible other in, in some form. And that, you know, it, and if you're lucky and, you know, your culture is supporting you, it's it's um, it's a good invisible other. It's an invisible other who wants the best for you rather than, you know, an invisible other who is out to harass you. As, you know, as some... Some invisible others are um you know there's this this work that suggests that if you are have a relationship with a loving god the more you pray the better it is for your mental health whereas if you experience your god as judgmental the more you pray the worse it is for your mental health Mm -hmm. and i and i think there's something to that.
0: that 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 makes me think of the uh the work that i know you've been involved with but also the larger movement of uh Addressing schizophrenic voices through actually talking with them and engaging with them, um, mm-hmm. seeing, asking what do they what do they in fact want and that this this has a surprising uh, effectiveness for the the health of the of the patient
1: for some people, yes, I mean I think that one way of thinking about religion in general is as as a kind of an act of metacognition, kind of where you're you're thinking differently about thinking. And I do think that that is, you know, also the heart of therapy, and the heart of these new um, approaches in in helping people to handle voices.
2: Mm.
0: So I, I wonder then, I mean, if if this kind of of ritual and ritual practice is an essential component of mental hygiene, I mean, you've um, you've been looking at it in many different communities, uh, ranging from. Um, you know, uh contemporary uh witches in England to uh evangelical Christians in America and of course you're you know ensconced in American academia uh and have been doing work with uh with, with homeless. How are we doing as a as a culture? How is the twenty first century West doing as a as a culture that does or doesn't have healthy ritual practices that does or doesn't address this this element of mental hygiene?
1: Uh well um I would... I, I would, might have given you a different answer on November 7th. Um, but, right. <laughs> you know, I I think that... So this is my hypothesis, and actually this is part of this work that I'm doing now. I think that Americans, uh, and Westerners generally, and Americans in particular, have this super-aware sense about their mind. They have a lot of ideas about their thinking, They have a lot of. um, They put a lot of emphasis on knowing what you're thinking. We have this huge battalion of people whose job it is to help us think more, um, to know ourselves better, and to understand why we have certain thoughts and emotions. And 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 I think on the one hand, this has probably been part of what has fueled so much creativity and excitement. In our culture on the other hand I think that we have you know uh, fewer spiritual experiences and when people become psychotic I think they get more sick hmm. so I, th- I think that there is you know there, there's a sense that the mind is this you know that you know it's it's, this, um, it's your castle and it's got a drawbridge and it's you know it's your own bounded world And what goes on inside is really important, but it's not real. And this has some enormous advantages. I mean, it helps us think about creativity and like the freedom to invent that is really very remarkable. I mean, we highly, highly value, you know, kids developing, you know, ideas that nobody else has had and that and that's pretty unusual. I mean and we we know that that's true. I mean we know that adults um invest in children's fantasy play in very different ways around the world. And Americans invest in a way that is really quite striking. I mean American parents really love to to read to their kids and you know get their kids to think about the book characters in ways that you know um You know, our novel. We really value that that sense of novelty, and that's kind of great. But you know, this we the secularism means that I think people, you know, we we don't pay pay attention to. We we think of sleep as a biological need rather than as a place where you kind of slip out and experience a different world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we actually do have less supernatural experience, although. Uh, you know, this is early on in the project that I'm doing, so we'll see whether this really turns out to be true. Um, um, And I think we do know, this is not my work, uh, although my work contributes to this, I think we do know that if you fall, if you start feeling like your mind is broken, it's so much more upsetting to Americans that their voice-hearing experience is more negative. And, you know, you look at people, um, I mean, that's something I did. What, what what other people have done is to demonstrate that if you look at people when they first fall ill with psychosis, and you look at them two years later, they look better when they're not in the West. Hmm. You know, the best data comes from India, but it's, um, you know, but there's something, you know, and, and there are a lot of things that contribute to that difference in outcome, but it's, it's a striking difference in outcome.
0: Any anything else you think we ought we ought to be talking about?
1: Um, no, I, I I do think that Burning Man, you know, for those who go to it, seems to serve this really important role in giving people a sense of the sacred.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's a kind of a more secular sacred, but it is a sense of the sacred.
0: Yeah, that's. I think it's very much in the. Um, in the way we we talk about it and and the way a lot of people experience it yeah that it's a mm-hmm. it's a way of reconnecting with even if you don't want to use the word sacred that which is which is unconditional in our lives
2: yeah
1: and i think I, I guess let me say one more thing which is i think that it um part of that story has to do with the way people experience their senses that one of the things that you see happening with Um, these spiritual practices, is that the people who respond most to them are people who are sort of willing to mess with the boundary between inner and outer outer senses. Mm. And the people who are more likely to go into religious states are also people who are likely to be comfortable with traversing that boundary. And um, so my sense is that that's something that Burning Man specializes in.
0: Yeah, in, in in many ways, it's it's very hard uh-huh. to keep a keep a sense of um, clear boundaries about just about anything um, yeah, out there. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to talk.
1: Well, I enjoyed it. Take care.
0: You've been listening to a podcast of the Burning Man Philosophical Center, now with twice the phenomenology of the other leading philosophical centers. You can learn more about us at burningman.org. I'm Caveat, and comments or questions can go to caveat at burningman.org. Thanks for joining our conversation, and welcome home.